They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with much power and majesty, and he shall send his angels with a trumpet and a loud voice, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest parts of the heavens to the utmost bounds of them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. At the end of every fiscal year, uh, accountants close out the books. They reconcile accounts, calculate profits and losses, draft an end-of-the-year report. That annual exercise not only keeps them uh, accountable to themselves, uh, it also helps them to plan better for the coming year. Today is the last day of the liturgical year, the last Sunday after Pentecost. And so it finds us in a similar situation. Another liturgical year is in the books, you might say. Uh, And next Sunday, we begin a new one. Every liturgical year is given to us as a time, and therefore a commodity in that sense. It's a time to grow closer to Christ by being with him in the various events throughout his life from his birth, through his suffering and death, to his ascension and the gift of his spirit, and everything in between. And so we do well to take a cue from accountants in assessing the past year to hold ourselves accountable and to plan better for the next year. So as we look back in the past liturgical year, this sacred time given to us for growing closer to Christ, How have we done? What practices have profited us? Uh, Where were our losses or setbacks spiritually? How can we plan to do better next year? And of course, we can't reduce the spiritual life uh, to to mere finances. The, The analogy only goes so far. But the analogy is helpful, and it's not without precedent, of course. Our Lord himself uses the parable of the talents to convey the same point, telling the the parable of of the master who allots certain talents, certain money to his servants, and then goes away and comes back and expects to find from them a return on his investment. And so every single year, our Lord entrusts to us the sacred mysteries of our Lord's life. And he expects to receive a return. He expects these things to bear fruit. So we have to, at this time, take stock of things and render an accounting. Give some time reflecting on what has benefited us and what has failed us in the past year, where we have grown and where we still need to grow. And obviously this is set in stark relief for us by way of the gospel for this Mass our Lord speaking about his second coming. But the epistle as well helps us to sort of zero our sights and reflect on what our lives should be as disciples of Christ. St. Paul gives us a kind of a description of what the Christian should be. And if I'm not mistaken, it's all one sentence. And And that's in the Greek as well. 
This is one, one of those passages from Paul's letters, and his letters are full of them, in which you can just sort of sense his, his excitement and his zeal, the energy behind what he's trying to communicate, in this case to the Colossians, uh, and by extension to all of us. There, we can sort of discern three different parts uh, to the epistle. And the, the, the first is, for those of us who love the Latin and who have to show that our undergraduate degree was not in vain, <laughs> kind of zero in on the present participles and uh, the first person plural, placentes, fructificantes, crescentes. Nice threefold description of what we should be doing, placentes, being pleasing to God in all things. Is that what we're striving for? Or are we striving to please man? Are we striving to please the world or to please God? Most of us spend our time trying to please the world without displeasing God. We, we have to reverse that and strive to please God without, if can be helped, displeasing the world. Fructificantes, bearing fruit. Are we bearing fruit in our, in our spiritual life? Is the investment that God makes in us every Sunday when we receive Holy Communion, is that bearing fruit? Our Lord in the Eucharist can be understood as, as the seed placed in the soil. Is, is that bearing fruit in our thoughts, words, and actions, in our charity towards others, in our apostolic zeal? Do we strive to share this fruit of, of the gospel with others? And crescentes, um, increasing, spiritually increasing. Right after Thanksgiving, there are probably a lot of us who are crescentes, who are in, increasing physically. But St. Paul, I presume, means this spiritually. Increasing in the spiritual life, widening our hearts, being stretched. St. Augustine says that the entire Christian life is an exercise in holy desire. That our hearts and our souls should be, should be stretched out to accommodate more. The psalmist praises the Lord, because you have dilated my heart, he says. You've, you've widened my heart, which sounds a little painful. And this, of course, is where the cross comes into our life. That growth spiritually always comes by way of the cross, by way of our bearing sufferings. But are we striving to grow, or are we, are we just settling? Are we settling for, for mediocre? And then St. Paul, uh, in the epistle, exhorts them, just describes them as giving thanks to God the Father, who hath made us worthy to be partakers of the lots of the saints in light. This is the heart of everything. Our moral life, our life of prayer, our doing things as Christians, only comes from what he has made us already. Beware of those who reduce the Christian life to just a matter of doing things and being good, being nice to others. We're in favor of those, right? But uh, that only comes about because of what he has made us. Partakers of the lot of the saints in light. 
We have been brought into the kingdom of his son. We have been made a particular kind of person, one united with Christ, one sharing his life, having his life coursing through our spiritual veins. That is what should characterize our thoughts, words, and actions. That is what should be in our mind when we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, that we, we are fundamentally different from just a, any other person. By being introduced into Christ, we now share in his life, and therefore we have to be pleasing to him. We have to bear fruit, and we have to increase in that grace. Giving thanks, he says. And of course, this is very much in our mind after the Thanksgiving holiday. And we sometimes can reduce Thanksgiving to just sort of a polite thing to do. And so once a year, we, you know, just out of politeness, we thank God. Uh, but of course, Thanksgiving is, is an essential aspect of prayer. It is the heart of Christian prayer. The Eucharist, the, a word which means Thanksgiving, is at the heart of everything. Because everything we do should be making a return to him. Everything we do should be giving thanks to him. That is at the heart of the Mass. It is truly right and just to give him thanks at all times, always and everywhere. And then as if to impress upon the Colossians and on us what is, what is at stake here, St. Paul says that God hath delivered us from the power of darkness We're not just sort of flawed beings who need a little help along the way. No, without Christ, we are under the dominion of the evil one. As C.S. Lewis says, we are rebels who need to lay down their arms. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Unless we take seriously that that is our status without Christ, and that the power of darkness is still active in the world today, Unless we take that seriously, we won't appreciate what is at stake. We won't appreciate what he has done for us. And what he has done is not only to deliver us from the power of darkness, but as this says, he hath translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. It's kind of an awkward word for us. He's translated us or transported us. He's moved us from the kingdom of the evil one into the kingdom of his son. That is what happened at baptism. God himself reached down and and took you and took you out of the kingdom of Satan and moved you into the kingdom of Christ. Your life now cannot be the same. It must be fundamentally different. That is what is at stake. And that is why our Lord has such severe words about his second coming. Because of everything he's entrusted to us, everything he's done for us, He will also ask that we, well, that we increase in the grace he's given to us, that we bear fruit in the grace that we receive, and that we strive to please him in all things. And in all this, giving thanks for what he's accomplished for us, so that when he does come again, he will greet us joyfully, and even more importantly, we will greet him joyfully. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.